And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The question to start with, do you have spiderwebs on your car window, mirror? Yes, Yes. excellent, good. This is deeply theological, I'm going somewhere. Um, Lots of us do because last week on the radio when I was driving, I heard 15 minutes of airtime devoted to why we get spiders on our car window mirrors. And the person had found someone that had a PhD on behavioural traits of spiders and why they like our cars. See, this was a thing to think about. Why do they like our car windows? And the radio host found someone with knowledge in this particular area to come and talk to us about a very odd matter. But it got me thinking, a qualified voice is what we like in life, isn't it? It's important for validating and listening and hearing a point of view. I went to the doctors many years ago and I had something and I thought I need to go see the GP and I explained to him what was wrong and he looked at me and then he Googled my symptoms. And I wasn't worried because he has 12 years of experience to work through the good Google and the bad Google, right? I don't know that. I Googled it and it said, you've either got a minor cold or you're about to die. And it was, 
I didn't know. But he had a voice that could interpret that and I could listen to with credibility. And maybe you've seen that as well. And as we get to the Gospel of Mark, I want you to see that Mark is a credible voice. He's a source that we can listen to and trust as he talks about Jesus. You see, he writes a biography of Jesus' life as he's collected information from Peter's sermons in the years after Jesus' resurrection. He's also one of the 12 disciples. And he compiles what is our earliest account of the life of Jesus, written AD 55. It's the shortest account with only 678 verses. John has 879 and Matthew and Luke well over 1,000. But it's the shortest and punchiest account because Mark says the word immediately or and next and next over 40 times. He wants to push the narrative forward very, very quickly. And as Amanda shared with us before, there's no birth account, no genealogy. It's just boom, impatient Mark getting to the point. But it's also full of action. For the size, we have more stories about Jesus than slabs of Jesus' teaching like John or the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And what Mark's doing, what he wants to to draw us into in this narrative is to show people are repeatedly blind to Jesus' identity and mission and call. Over and over again, people just have no idea what Jesus is about. And I reckon if today, if we were to make Mark into a a Netflix series, I think it will be a two-episode miniseries. Chapter 1 to 8, set in Galilee, Jesus travels revealing God's kingdom. It's a big theme in the first eight chapters. Mark wants to show us the way Jesus acts and behaves is the same as the God of the Old Testament. He speaks as God speaks. He does things that only God can do, like calming a storm, casting out demons, forgiving sins. And then the episode ends, you can imagine it kind of will finish in this verse and then it fades to black, right? When, when Peter says, oh, I get it, you're the Messiah, And then it fades out. And you're going, what? And then episode two begins, and Jesus is now going somewhere, not just traveling in in Galilee. He's going towards Jerusalem, and that means the cross. And along the way, he's changing what he's doing there. Now he's explaining what life as a follower with him is like. How it's marked with two things that are really strange, suffering and obedience, and they go together. And as episode one ended with that confession of Peter, episode two does... But what's remarkable is this is a Roman soldier who's looking at the dead Jesus on the cross and he says in verse, uh, chapter 15, 39, surely this man was the Son of God. But it doesn't end here like episode 1 did. Um, it ends really abruptly with three women. And they, they go to the tomb and they're, they're trembling with fear because an angel says, Jesus isn't here, you should go to Galilee like he told you. And they fled from the tomb and said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's it. And it's a bit of a, bit of a ending in some ways because it's like, well, what's happening? But the point is, that's, that, sorry, that is the point of the whole book. Mark has been showing us over and over again, Jesus is not what you expect. And he leads us with the decision to make. These women ran away afraid in fear. Will that be you? Or will you follow the Jesus I've been telling you about from verse 1-1 all the way to there? What decision will you make? Will you hear, repent, believe and follow this Jesus? Mark doesn't want us to be blind to Jesus. So let's go to the start. 
Let's see how Mark opens for us that. And every week, we'll meet people that don't get who Jesus is, that are blind to the reality of the Son of God. But Mark says, hey, at the beginning when I write, I don't want you to be like that. And he gives us not just one voice, but four credible statements and voices from different sources as he opens to show us who Jesus is. So that when we hear and listen to whatever Jesus says and does after that, whatever Mark records, we will believe and know the good news is here in him. And today, I want you to see the wonder of Jesus and the power of his call over your life as we get through this. So listen to Mark's own voice in in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's the only time we hear Mark's thoughts about Jesus. The rest of it, he's recording everything as for us. And Mark 1.1 connects us with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God in the beginning of the good news of Jesus. But beginning doesn't mean first in order, it just means origins. It means origins. So the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The good news comes from a word, and maybe your version has the word gospel in it. And it's talking about announcement, an announcement that brings joy. It might be a wedding, or a birth, or a military victory, or when that long weekend happens and you realize you get five days off in a row with no holidays. An announcement of great joy. And Mark is announcing that Christianity is the good news of Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Messiah or Christ. It means chosen king. Messiah is the Hebrew word, Christ is the Greek word of saying the same thing. And this king is the son of God, he says. So God is up to something in Jesus, like he was when he created the world, but it's all to do with a king. Something new, when he will bring the loving rule and care as king over people. Mark says, I reckon that's the best news you could ever hear. And Mark wants us to know that at the very beginning, because he'll re- spend the rest of this book unpacking why he reckons Jesus is such good news. That's the first voice. Secondly, Mark just says, don't take my word for it. Hey, here's another credible voice, the voice of the prophets. And it's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and also Malachi 3, verse 1. That's where you'll find the quote. And in this, we see a few things. Firstly, God's talking. He says, I will. Then we see God is the one behind all of this. I will send my messenger, and we find that God is the one to push the narrative forward. I will send. God, the point is, God is beginning the movement towards his people. And God wants to prepare us for this. As a parent, if you were in our house last week or saw what was going on, we were preparing our kids for the start of school last week. We prepare before people come over to our house. Every day we get ready for work, you might say. And so when the arrival of this big news, the biggest news comes, it makes sense that God will prepare for this. But notice that God doesn't need to prepare himself. He's preparing the people. He says, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And how does God prepare? With a voice. Come to our house before school and you'll hear me preparing my kids with a voice. Pack your lunch, put your shoes on. But God is not saying that to us. He's saying, make a straight path so that you can follow God. And we need this because he reminds us in this announcement that we are in the wilderness too. 
Isaiah and Mark say the voice is coming to the wilderness. And we need directions out of the wilderness and a Google Map link won't work. It turns out that the Lord is going into the wilderness of our life to call us out. And that's the promise of the prophets. You see, Mark wants us to know this big news of Jesus is not just out of the blue, but it's in the blueprint of God's plan and what he's up to in the world. The Lord will come. That's the point. So we have Mark's voice, we have the prophet's voice, and then we have someone called John, John the Baptist. Now, he's the one the prophet spoke of. Get them ready. And what John is doing is baptizing people to show they're ready for Jesus by repenting, ready for God to do something new in them, a baptism of repentance towards this coming king. And that's the thing about Jesus, right? You can't just reverse engineer him into your life. You can't just add a little bit of Jesus to your life. It's about collapsing your life into him. And John knows that, and John makes that very clear when he says, the one that's coming is so much greater than me. I'm just splashing you with water. I'm baptizing you with water. But he will baptize you with the Spirit of God. You see, it's the Spirit that will bring about the change in us. It's the Spirit that will bring about the entrance to the kingdom of God, as we'll see. And finally, there's one more voice that we hear. We've heard from Mark and Isaiah, John, now it's the voice of God himself. And Mark is moving fast at this point, and he's going at a pace, and he wants to get to the moment when Jesus comes out of the water of baptism. And he gives us no other details about everything between them, but he wants us to see God's trinity, the Father, Son, Spirit. One God, three persons, it's three persons, one God. And he sets up God's voice for us really well. How do we hear God? What, what happens? Well, the heavens were torn open. Now, it's not a violent tearing. It's what Isaiah 64.1 says, when God will open the heavens to come down, right? And so heaven is now breaking loose on earth in the person of Jesus, and God opens heaven to say something. And then in what looked like a dove, but it wasn't a dove, it looked like a dove, the Holy Spirit came down, the Spirit John spoke of, coming down upon Jesus, just as the Spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis, so now the Spirit comes down onto Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And then this voice says three things. It affirms the identity of Jesus. Who is he? You are my son. It reveals the pleasure that God has in Jesus. With you, I am well pleased. And it shows God's approval of Jesus, whom I love. And this voice gives us the final announcement to Jesus that Mark wants us to see. Mark, the prophets, John, and God the Father are all credible sources to give us a true perspective by which we can see and hear Jesus with. And there's one final moment in this, in this beginning Mark wants us to see, and it's only very briefly, but it's really, really important. Because the point is, if Jesus is God, King, Messiah, if God is pleased with him, if this is the Son of God whom he loves... Perhaps he's really different from you and me. But what Mark wants us to see is that this Son of God is more like us than you think. The Spirit then says Jesus to be tempted in the wilderness. To truly identify as a human, Jesus will experience all of life as a human, even in the wilderness, and all the temptations that come with that. Except this great one is also unlike us in that he never sinned or never will sin. 
And Mark makes that point when he says, angels and animals are with Jesus. It's a strange thought, isn't it? But it it brings us back to Genesis again. Just as Adam and Eve lived in harmony with creation, so too does Jesus. And once all the evil and the sin and the temptation is defeated by Jesus on the cross, the Son of God, the faithful one who never sinned, there will be rest for creation and creator living in harmony once more. And Jesus shows us that right at the beginning. This is who he will be like. He will not fail where Adam did and like where we do. He will succeed to unite creation back to God the Father. That's who he is. And then, if it's not just good enough to hear Mark, Isaiah, John and God, we hear Jesus. And the very first thing Mark says we should know about Jesus is this. Jesus goes into Galilee and he proclaims the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. When Jesus says the time has come, he's not talking about hours. That's what we'd call chronos time. He's, you know, I can tell you it's my birthday in six days, 13 hours, 33 minutes, right? That's chronos time. That's true, by the way. Um, this is kairos time. This is seasonal time. Like my kids say, the bloom of the jacaranda tree is here. Christmas time is near. That's, that's chronos time. It's seasonal. It's the moment God's eternal agenda when the kingdom is now coming near in the person of Jesus. And coming near is, is this idea of a cup being filled up and spilling over the edges. And in Jesus, as we've seen with the heavens open, God's kingdom is spilling over to all of creation, to us. It's coming near. And it's a strange kingdom. I mean, you can't fill out the documents and pay money to get in like you do a passport. It's not geographical with with borders in the sense you can visit and say, I'm in the kingdom of God and now I'm in Australia, I'm in the kingdom of God and it doesn't work like that. It's not a place you can visit for holiday. But it's entered into by repentance and faith. And what does that mean? It means surrendering your life to Jesus. It's the announcement, it's the realization that you've been in rebellion against God, the King. And you need to confess that sin of living for your own kingdom of self and sin. And Jesus comes and offers us the terms of peace between us and God. And when we hear those terms of peace, we repent from being away from God by turning to and trusting Jesus. And that is the good news that Jesus brings and Mark wants us to see And so Mark says, here's four voices and here's the one Son of God to listen and pay attention to. And we live in a noisy world and there are lots of voices and it feels like a wilderness and a jungle many, many times. But do you hear what Mark is saying to you? The kingdom of God has come near in Jesus. In our fallen nature, no one can intervene between us and God, so God sends Jesus to do that for us. We can't get out of the wilderness and into the kingdom of God unless Jesus comes to do that for us. And it happens by repenting and believing. And that's what Mark wants us to understand. To listen to Jesus as the one who is telling you, to you, this morning, the kingdom of God is here. It has come near. So repent and believe. But that's not it. Mark wants us to then show us, and he will now for the rest of the book, what 
the kingdom of God is like. What does it mean to repent of it? What does it mean to have Jesus as your king, to turn from your kingdom to his? Well, think of this next part, and we'll look at it briefly, as a window looking through, showing what God's kingdom is like, showing us the authority of Jesus to teach and call and confront evil in this world. It's, it's as if he's peeling the page back in the story and saying, this is what it will be like one day when Jesus rules forever, and I'll give you a foretaste. See, in his life, Jesus shows us what God's rule is like. And the first thing we see is that Jesus calls disciples. He's now walking beside the Sea of Galilee. Interesting, the Son of God is not confined to a temple where you'd expect a holy person to be, right? He's, he's out in creation. He's talking to people. He's witnessing the economy. And on this day, he sees fishermen. Now, fishing in Galilee was a lucrative trade. Don't think, oh, poor fishermen. Jesus is compassionate on their poor little lives. Oh, he is, but they weren't poor. They were exporting fish all over the country from this place. This was very, very popular to do. There was hundreds of fishermen. They were working class and they were well off. And then he looks and he sees four people, two sets of brothers. You see, Jesus' message is for all. But no one will come unless God makes us willing to come. And that's what Jesus came to do. So he calls out and says, Hey, come, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. Firstly, Jesus has the authority as the Son of God to call you to a new way of life, which means loyalty to him. Does your loyalty lie with Jesus? They did this immediately. Lucrative fishing nets were worth giving up to gain Jesus. Secondly, mission is the heartbeat of the kingdom of God. Jesus wants you to influence others towards him as well. God is ascending and a seeking God, and so are his people, which is the fishing reference. But it's not just clever because you're fishermen, you'll get this. It, it jumps back to Jeremiah 16, when God says he'll call fishermen to go about his business. Meaning, Jesus shows us that it's all about making disciples of him. And you put that together with the first 15 verses and you get this great picture. John prepares the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus calls people to follow his way and go about his business in the world. He is the authority to call you. So you surrender to him. And then we see Jesus teaching with authority too. So later that week, he's still in Galilee and he goes to Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum? Yeah. Yes, yes. Which is just near the shore of Galilee. And he goes in the synagogue. It's a place Jewish people met every week to be taught about life with their God from the Torah law. And because Jesus is the visiting teacher, he is allowed to stand up and speak. He's not breaking a law by kind of being noisy when he says he stands up. That's what happened. A visiting speaker came and they said, tell us, what do you have to say? And he stood up. And on this day, the people are amazed at his authority. He's teaching what life with God is like, unlike anyone else. You see, we believe not just in the person of Jesus, but we are for what Jesus is for. We are against what he is against. And we hear his teaching and are amazed that that's what life with God is actually like. And it undoes so many of our preconceived ideas when we actually get to see and hear what life with Jesus is like. But then Mark wants us to know that Jesus is not just calling and teaching, but he's also confronting evil in this life even evil from the underworld. 
And sometimes the Bible and the Gospels confront us with stuff that's bigger than our own pocket of the world, and this is one of those moments for us. You see, if Jesus has authority to call and speak into every part of your life, he has the authority to do that in all of creation. In fact, an impure spirit here hears Jesus, and instead of being amazed, he calls out to Jesus, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth, so his earthly name, the Holy One of God, his divine name. And he's got excellent theology and he's trying to manipulate Jesus at this moment. Can an evil spirit stop the Son of God? Does Jesus have authority over that? That's the question. If God has called him and John has and given us this picture, what about this? But we see Jesus' authority extends to even evil, scary things. And just as Jesus says, come and follow me to the disciples, he says, go away from the evil spirit calling the evil away and with jesus voice nothing else he gives an order and puts life the right way up for this man he's got rid of it and so mark begins by giving us four voices to hear to see and understand who jesus is then he tells us what jesus is all on about in verse 14 and 15 and then he shows us a window into what the kingdom of god is going to be like a kingdom in which the authority of jesus to call and teach and cast away evil is present and all of that leads us to respond in the way the people did when they heard and saw jesus too amazement and repentance it says it twice in the end they were amazed they were amazed you see mark is writing So you and me would be in the best place to see for ourselves the powerful voice of Jesus in real time in our life who's really bringing about the kingdom of God over the lives of individuals. Have you surrendered your life to this Jesus? Jesus doesn't want you to just know what he's about like the demon did, but to act upon that. To repent and believe is something we do at a moment in time. But it's not just that, it's a whole new way of life from now on. A new attitude of God, or t- towards God I should say, on his mission. It's a new way of life, listening to and following the teaching of Jesus. And it's having a new authority and amazement over your life at who this Jesus is. Wow. The grace of God in Jesus. Are you amazed at that today? And maybe you need to take that first initial step and repent and believe. Maybe the the Holy Spirit this morning has reminded you of some sins to confess, of living as like you're not part of God's kingdom this week. That the wonder isn't there like it once was because life in the wilderness has just made you dull and the hurry-worry-busy has come over the top of you. And so what I want you to do is to pray this with me. Pray this for yourself, but... I'll pray it and you say it to yourself if this is you. So let's pray and we'll end our time in Mark. Pray this if this is you. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word and actions. I have not loved you or others with my whole heart. I have lived away from you And I'm truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your son Jesus, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will 
walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen.